Everyone knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. Poker. This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. Thanks for joining us, everybody, picking up the show, whether you downloaded it or you're just listening to a stream, uh, picking it up on uh, SoundCloud or Spotify or all the places where they, we run our show. We are happy to have you, and we have an interesting show ahead of you as we talk about a lot of things in the world of poker. And there's a lot of things just out in the world that uh, are happening, some good, some bad, but we do want to uh, talk about their effect on the poker world. And I'm not talking COVID. I'm talking uh, computer hacking and things like that. So let's start there, Joe. Uh, I know you probably caught a little bit about the uh, Colonial Pipeline and and uh, the great news that the Department of Justice was able to hack the hackers and get their money back, uh, or at least a lot of the money back. But it, it brought up a serious question with me that a lot of stuff uh, having to do with poker rooms involves computers now. Have you heard of any incidents where hackers are trying to get into poker rooms. What have you heard about that sort of thing? Well, in the brick and mortars, I haven't heard any of that. But uh, as you well know, you know, about 15, 16 years ago, I was involved with uh, some people who were trying to start an, an online poker site and, you know, ran other sports gaming uh, stuff over there. And... Um, they were hacked, you know, and I know that other online poker sites have been hacked. Um, to what extent, I don't know. I know that some of them, um, I don't want to name one of the sites because I'm not sure which one, which one of two it is. But, um, you know, we, we couldn't play for a couple of days. Um, I don't know if they paid the ransom. The people that I was working for um, have some very knowledgeable people and very important people from other parts of the world that were able to figure out that it was from our Russian um, hackers going all the way back then. And That's um, what, 16 years ago? That was in 2000 and 2004. Because yeah, was, 17 I, years ago. I'll remember it as a Yankee fan. It was the year that Boston won <laughs> their first World <laughs> Series. <laughs> So it didn't. They didn't affect these guys there, and um, but you know we we definitely have read for those of us who have played a lot online that they've gone after that. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, from America's Card Room, um, some email came in recently, you know, asking people to change their passwords right, right. on a frequent matter due to their claiming that they they had no breach. Um, you know, for themselves, but that other places have. And if we had multiple poker accounts, that'd be something to do so that people, you know, the talented hackers couldn't get in there. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff, so. Well, as we've discussed the last couple of weeks, things are going well in the poker world. And you mentioned, you know, being a brick and mortar, uh, you know, manager, that maybe it doesn't affect you quite as much. But how about little things like, uh, you know, you use a computer to set up your schedule for your dealers. And, you know, obviously people have bigger fish to fry than that. But 
you know, I heard that there was something yesterday that a lot of uh, major media outlets were uh, sent offline, and, and it just kind of disrupts business now because we depend on computers for just about everything. Absolutely. I mean, have you ever gone through the fear of losing your phone? No, but and, they say uh, that's coming. All of a sudden realize that everything is on there. You know, you can't function without your phone because all right. your contacts and everything are on there. And, uh, you know, I would imagine for the brick and mortars, uh, Dave, instead of the poke room, they'd be much, much, much more interested in the casino side. Yeah. You know, you yeah. stop, you stop, you know, you, you interfere with that function and, uh, you are putting a big dent in, in, uh, in, in their pocketbooks. Right. You know, you know, and, um, you know, poker, no matter how successful a poker room is, if they're attached to a casino, um, you know, people don't want to hear this in the poker world, but it's it's a it's a very small amount of money. Yeah. You know, in comparison, yes, they they do have uh, people who will come in, spend money in the poker, you know, in the poker, and especially like places like Vegas and where they'll rent rooms and maybe their partners or friends will play machines or you know other table games, and they will too when they're not playing poker, but you know. When you add up the real estate of poker, as opposed to what it produces to slot machines, let's say, um, it, it's not even close. Yeah, absolutely. It's not even close, at least in, in most places. And, uh, you know, it, it's been wonderful. Thank God for the moneymaker, you know, explosion, uh, which has allowed more rooms to actually open up and, uh, you know, try to get money elsewhere. But... Um, my guess, Dave, they're going after the after the casino side if they're doing anything that you know. Yeah, no them. question about it. No question about it. Uh, one of the big tournaments going on right now online. Well, actually, that's not online. It's out in Vegas. It's at the Poker Go Studio Studios, and you can pick up uh, that action. And that's the U.S. Poker Open, which is a series of high roller events. I think the smallest is ten thousand, goes up to twenty five, and even more. But uh, there are four events in the books. In that one, the latest tournament was uh, I found interesting because it was won by John Reardon, uh, a name that might be familiar to South Florida fans because he won the inaugural um, World Series of Poker Circuit event at the Palm Beach Kennel Club in 2011, which is amazing, 10 years ago now. And he was just 18 years old. He had just turned 18, and he wasn't even allowed to play in a casino uh, here in Florida, but he won this poker tournament and, uh, I got a chance to talk to him quite a bit about it. He is still playing and, uh, he won the latest event, which was a big bet mix tournament, which involves, uh, three different games, uh, pot limit, Omaha, do seven low ball and no limit hold'em. So, uh, uh, pretty interesting tournament that he won. He defeated Sean Perry, uh, for the title and Alex Foxen finished third. That was the latest one. And, uh, it's funny because Perry said he didn't even really know how to play do seven, but he got in the tournament anyway, ended up, uh, bagging up the chip lead overnight and made it to the final table and then, uh, end up coming in second to, uh, John Reardon who won 163,000 for that one. That was a $10,000 buy-in event. But just to let you know, uh, the big names are there. Uh, Sam Sovereign won a tournament already uh, there. His tournament was the PLO event. And uh, the late, one of the latest winners was uh, 
uh, Joe McKeon, the former uh, World Series of Poker main oh, event yeah. champion. Main so, event, uh, main event, so, so the big names are there, Stephen Chidwick, and uh, a lot of big names. So you can catch some of this on uh, Poker Go if you if you do have that app, or uh, it's certainly well worth your while if you like to watch uh, poker games on TV or on your tablet. So uh, that's a good place to go. But we'll get to some of that a little bit later. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. The Resorts World Hotel in Vegas is uh, set to open very soon. Um, you know, we talked about the the hacking, uh, the Vegas, uh, or I'm sorry, the pipeline hacking. Uh, but tied in with that is the explosion now, really, of uh, cryptocurrencies, which I uh, recently just kind of looked into. I had uh, someone suggested that maybe I look into a certain site that he thought was going to do very well. So I'm spending some time, uh, you know, at least doing a little bit of research. It's one of those things that passed me by. I remember when I moved to Florida in uh, back to Florida after going to Boston and then New York and back to Tampa, I came down here and I said, well, I'm going to take this job back at Highlight again because the computer inter world and the internet is just starting to explode and it's just passing me by. So if I take this job, I'm going to have access to the internet. And, and that was one of the main reasons why I, I really got involved in some of these things. <laughs> that sounds cool, Dave. It really does. But the so. cryptocurrency thing, well, the reason I bring that up is on that uh, dealer's site that you mentioned, someone asked the question, do you know a poker room where you can buy into tournaments or buy chips with with uh, Bitcoin, and uh, a couple of people laughed and said, "Ah, oh, come on! What are you? That, that's is that a real question? You know, that's like saying, can I go up with my credit card and buy poker chips?' Which we know you can't do that. But it's funny. There was a link to it uh, to a site, and the first the one of the first casinos out in Vegas that's going to be taking Bitcoin is the Resorts World in Las Vegas. Oh, good for them. Good so, for them. I mean, you know, sooner or later this is going to happen. You know, uh, didn't we have a football player? I believe he got cut anyway, but that requested uh, that his, you know, that he be paid in Bitcoin. Be paid in Bitcoin. <laughs> well, I guess the main I think problem it was for... a tight end for Kansas City or something I, I uh, that asked for. He got cut, but he requested his. Uh, Salary, which is supposed to be somewhere around nine hundred something thousand dollars a year, to um, you know to be paid in Bitcoin. So <laughs> this is just going to continue like that. Well, I guess the hard thing for a lot of people is trying to figure out what the conversion is, and obviously it changes every day. But uh, just the note on the, the Vegas Resort, they're going to use a, a, a cryptocurrency wallet called Gemini. And customers will be able to use that wallet to make payments within the complex. I'm not sure exactly for buying chips in the poker room or other uh, casino areas, but it should be uh, very different. And uh, the first, the first casino in a huge area to uh, partner with a, a, pl a cryptocurrency platform and uh, use that for their guests. The demand is starting to be out there, and I thought that was very interesting. By the way, uh, the results, uh, Resorts World International uh, in Las Vegas will be opening on June the 24th, so that's just right around the corner. Oh, wow, right around the corner. Uh, it's funny, in this story I just was perusing through, it said, for four years there's been a strip club in Vegas that has been using crypto assets for its operations, including consumption and private dances. So, uh, hey, <laughs> I can imagine yep. asking the stripper, do you take crypto, do you take Bitcoin or Ethereum? 
There you go. There you go. Oh my God. So anyway, well, we're, we're coming into a whole new area era, but uh, there's lots of things happening out there. Uh, Mike Postel's wife interviewed by Veronica Brill, who was the original accuser of Mike Postel. So that's oh, a, that must have gone up. well. Yeah. Well, his wife, uh, you know, she's divorced from him and she basically backs up the fact that he's a complete scam artist and some of the things that he did. Well, and she then, actually then moved... you should have mentioned it was his ex-wife. Well, it is his ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> and she moved to uh, she moved to, I think, Oregon or something just to, to get away from this guy. So, uh, you know, the creepy things about this guy never end. But uh uh, I want to get to this uh, this article that we talked about off the air about poker dealers and why they don't like working in Vegas. So uh, I do want to get to that a little later on. We'll get to some of the poker results and some of the other things that are happening out there in the world. But um, I, this, this was really an interesting article to me, Joe, because for a novice in the, uh, in the brick and mortar side of operations – uh, I know very little about, you know, what poker dealers go through. And my first reaction would be people, people definitely want to work out there, I would think. Uh, but it's not the same as players. It's a goal of players to go out there and win a bracelet. But they are not treated so well by the WSOP. Well, what's happened is, you know, obviously the explosion, Dave, um, was great for poker. Okay. Now, if you remember in the article, towards the end of the article, somebody wrote about how 10 dealers, uh, you know, auditioned for the WSOP, I don't know, going back maybe to 2000 or something like that. And experienced dealers and only three of them got chosen, were considered good enough to deal. Okay. So when you were having fields of three, four hundred and that didn't start to happen till the late 90s, maybe early 2000s, okay? You could have been selective. And I'm sure it was a great honor to be chosen as a dealer, you know? And I, I, the people that I've known that have gone, for the most part, have enjoyed it, have said they've made very decent money over there. Uh, you wouldn't believe that by the article that we just read, right? But um, they really enjoyed it. And that's my only thought process is that, you know, back then they wanted the best dealers because of the, you know, the players that were there. They wanted them to have a great experience. Now, you and I both know doing this show for so many years that players have complained about the quality of the dealers. But when you have fields where you're starting with whatever, 2,000, 3,000 people, um, you've been to those, you've been out there, right. Dave. No, How many poker players were in those uh, conference quarters, you know, the time that you went out there? To oh, hundreds it? and hundreds. Okay, so imagine you've got to have dealers for all those tables. Every half hour, you're rotating dealers. They're, they're now running multiple tournaments, you understand? <laughs> and they've got live cash games. So... The quality of dealers, you just can't get them. You know, you can't get – it used to be a great place once the field started to get larger to get some experience and then go back to, you know, uh, wherever you lived and hope that if they had opened up uh, brick-and-mortar rooms, you could get a job. Uh, some people enjoyed it when they were single because, hey, you went out there. 
Um, I was always told the food was good. Not according to that article that, that I <laughs> Not the dealer food, not read. the break, break room no, food. No, you know, but uh, again, back then when people would tell me the food was great, there was only a few dealers in right. comparison to now that were doing that. And you got involved in the great cash games too, you know. So uh, I don't know what their downs were. Um, I did mention, I believe, either last week or the week before that the WSOP put out there that they would guarantee no less than $15 a down. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you mentioned that. There. Have you heard any more about that? No, I haven't. But, you know, from what I was, from what I spoke to dealers that I know that went out there, um, and one particular dealer, uh, she, she, she actually came to apply for me. I worked with her at Dania. I don't know if she's still there uh, working for Dave Berman now. You, you, you'll probably be able to tell me. But um, she always went away for those seven, eight, nine weeks of the, you know, right. of the WSOP right. towards the end of May into the middle of July. Um, sweet woman. I didn't consider her to be a very good dealer, to be honest with you. Uh, had a little bit of a problem with the language. And some of her dealing, you know, was adequate at best, but she made great money over there from what she told me. Well, at one, well, at one time, uh, the, during the summer, the World Series of Poker was really the only game in town, but that's changed dramatically over the last five, six years with some of these places like the Aria and the Planet Hollywood are running their own tournaments and, you know, and their own group yeah. of events. So you can, people have their choice and it's now blowing up in the face of the WSOP has, who has uh, treated not only the dealers, but a lot of players with, with a lack of dignity. Uh, you're saying they, a lot of players? Well, not players as much as dealers. So obviously, we're talking mainly about yeah. dealers right now. But, but uh, you, you know, know dealers, and, and obviously the players, there's big name players and there's other people that maybe just feel like uh, they've been greedy and overcharged them for uh, food and rooms and drinks and everything else. But as far as the dignity for the dealers, that's one of the big complaints out there that they basically just tell you where you're going to go and work. And if you don't like it, there's the door. And I've seen that in a lot of businesses. Uh, and it, the funny thing in that article, or the weird thing, I guess, was that there's like an anti-hierarchy where some of the most experienced dealers are sent out to low-limit games, to Chinese poker and different things. And the guys that are less experienced are sent to the, the main event and that sort of thing. Well, and that's based on necessity of, and I'm believe it or not, Dave, to an extremely smaller scale, okay, um, I'm, I've actually had that in my room because these dealers that came in before I was the manager were very poorly trained. None of these dealers would have been hired by me in the past. Um, our hands were tied um, because of the quality of dealers that came to apply when we opened up our room. Um, I'm so happy to report that a large majority of them have finally turned themselves into very decent dealers and some very, very good dealers. But there's still others that, you know, it's amazing, two years into this, haven't come close to grasping this. And they're making a lot of money. A lot of dealers down here in South Florida, we were the first ones to start this, where we let them keep their own tips from the uh, designated player games. 
okay? Right. And um, if I had to deal, like, I'll give you an example, Dave. We were, we've been running uh, on Fridays a really nice 3-6 full kill Omaha high-low game, okay? And it brought such a smile to my face. This was a game that was being done, run down south at a place that you announced, <laughs> right. Kings Court, when they closed it. One of my dealers who worked down there was able to get the game to come up and, you know, play with us. And um, put a smile on my face because it reminded me when I used to play a lot of, you know, house games, early 90s and stuff when I got down here. Okay. Half of my room has no clue how to read a high-low hand. Okay. Um, you tell them a kill, a full kill. And they're looking at you like you're speaking a foreign language. Um, and then they go, I have no idea what that means. And, you know, you're an experienced dealer. So if I know you're an experienced dealer, well, hell, I don't need to ask Big Dave how to run that game. Just go sit in that table. Although Big Dave can make a lot more money on the Hold'em game over there. But this dealer, who should be going to where you are, doesn't have a clue how to deal that game. So now, by being ill-prepared not properly trained or educated in his business, his or her business, they're going to get the, 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 they can only deal one game for you. And as it turns out, that's the juicy game. And that's so unfair. You get so many complaints from people going, hey, that's not fair. And when you're running a tournament this big, you know, you, you want to try to keep the customers, the players happy. And unfortunately, the people who play pay the price too many times are the dealers. Right, right. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Just to give you some numbers on it from this article, I thought it was pretty interesting uh, that 31 people replied uh, to the uh, poll, and s almost 75% had low opinions, and just 6.5% enjoyed the experience of working at the WSOP, and uh, the other 20% were kind of, you know, ambivalent about it. But, uh, um, that's amazing. I mean, that's, that's something the average player does not even realize is going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And well, and Dave, here, here's what, you know, let's, let's just say the normal nice poker player doesn't really see. They'll see it for a few moments, right? Maybe on their table. You, again, very small group of dealers that I've known, but for the most part, they've all enjoyed their experience there, okay? Um, but once again, when you don't know how to deal properly, you just know how to pitch cards and marginally read hands and don't know the proper procedures. Well, guess what happens, Dave? If someone kills your hand because they didn't know how to do their job right. professionally and correct, you're going to get a little upset, you know? you just You just put up... Let's say for the main event, ten thousand dollars. You know, the last thing you want is is is, is a dealer that's you know uh, a complete novice, a break in that has no clue, is completely yeah. lost, making a mistake that could cost you your ten thousand. Yeah. You know, and not only that, could cost you a big pot that may propel you into a a, a you know life changing payday. Yeah. So. If you're a dealer, people are saying, hey, you know, oh, I'm the bad experience. Well, you know what? I, I, I'm not trying to defend the dealers or, or pick on them, 
But I would imagine a large percentage of that 76% are the new dealers who are catching the brunt of people's frustration as as they're making mistakes. Right. And it just it builds up. It builds up. It builds up in the players. And the two, three dealers who, who pushed before you were terrible. And by now, the people have just had enough. And now you're just as bad or worse than the dealers prior to you. Make one more mistake. And, you know, you get a tongue lashing at the table. Yeah, absolutely. Well, those are those are the most uh, dramatic financial ramifications. But uh, everybody's affected by them bringing in inexperienced dealers putting them at some of the, the better cash games because they're slower, uh, n- not even making mistakes, but they're just, uh, they get much uh, fewer hands in and that's costing everybody in the room uh, money. It, it is, but it'll cost you a lot more money. If, if you, if you, if you put them on a game that they don't know and you really get nothing out there, right. you know, uh, like that old saying, you know, Twenty-five percent of something is more than a hundred percent of nothing, and that's that's what it becomes. It becomes a numbers game, you know. And um, obviously, when it becomes a numbers game, Dave, you know that's the frustration. I I can't imagine that, that there's any other reason for the frustration there, and trying to feed that many people in a break room just logistically just becomes so hard. And um, not to mention that you also have the rest of the casino staff that's there year-round that live there that are blackjack dealers, that are craps dealers, roulettes, so on and so forth. So, uh, again, the people that I know that did this in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s loved it. And as we read in that article, you know, they, they auditioned dealers, and it seems like they were picking the cream of the crop. Yeah. After after that explosion. <laughs> well, let's let's, fa- let's face it. I was just going to say, uh, you know, they just simply got too big for their britches. I think with all the uh, all the TV and the bright lights and the superstars and all the publicity that they raked in year and year out, uh, they got bigger and bigger. And as a result, they didn't feel like they had to take care of the small guy. And uh, now this is going to be a make or break year for them because we expect the crowds to be huge, but there's not many dealers around. A lot of people have gone to some of these other places like the Wynn and the Aria and, and uh, you know, maybe the Bellagio or something like that because it's a better situation for them out there. So, again, you're left with the, with the less experienced dealers who are trying to get experience, get their foot in the door. And you're going to have less of a quality. So uh, it's kind of blown up in their face, really, to be honest, that they uh, they didn't treat these poker dealers with dignity over the years. Well, you know, it's funny because this is the first article that I've read about that. Okay. Um, I don't know, Dave, if, if, you know, while you've spoken to people, I mean, there was always a complaint that some of the dealers were just horrendous dealers. And that's how it went. But... You know, there's a double-edged sword here. Remember, many years ago, as this thing started to expand, players were having problems. Remember, with long three-, four-hour lines of registration? Right. You know, cashing out. You know, when something explodes to this nature in such a short period of time and that it takes this much, you know, uh, workforce to be able to get it, 
it's hard, even in a t- even in a time where people are really looking for jobs, it's hard to get people who care enough about them and that you're paying them well enough that they want to give good customer service. So, you know, I don't know if that's possible anymore, Dave, especially yeah. with those fields. And now, listen, Dave Berman, I know over there in Dania is going crazy looking for dealers. We've been looking for dealers. Hialeah's had open auditions. That's had Magic City down here. Uh, the, the, the Big Easy down here. And, you know, everybody's looking for dealers. And I know that a, lar- a large percentage of dealers from here went to Texas. We've discussed that before on the show, and I would imagine a few dealers from other states. Okay? But think about it. We've had a bunch of, a couple of rooms that closed, didn't reopen, haven't reopened to that we can't get people to come out and apply for the job. I don't know if that's going to change now that the federal, you know, unemployment money is starting to dry up and end, you know, and people actually have to go look for jobs because everywhere I turn around when I'm driving, now hiring, now hiring, <laughs> looking yeah. for help, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and no one can get anybody. We, we've actually had, listen to this, we've actually had in the last month, I would imagine, Somewhere between nine to twelve people who went through the process of H, you know, passing through HR, going through the drug testing, filling out for their license, getting their license. This license are sent to the facility, and then all of a sudden you call them up to tell them, "Hey, we're ready to, you know, ready to schedule you. You have your license. Come and pick up your uniform. Thank you, but I've changed my mind." Right. Okay. Right. This is after they've gone through this whole procedure, and they don't want the job. Yeah. Exactly. So, I don't know what's going to happen. Yes, by the time the WSOP, I think it starts right, what, at the very end of September? Uh, September right? 30th, right, September 30th. Okay, so things will probably be a lot different in this country, God willing, uh, you know, in three or four months. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people may, professional dealers who may have just sat out because they were making good money sitting at home may want to go out there, but... This is going to be a never-ending problem for the WSOP uh, just because of the sheer size of, of, of their tournaments. Yeah. Well, they need to hire 1,200 temporary dealers, according to this article. And he said the pay is basically uh, the minimum wage in Nevada, which is $9 an hour, plus, of course, the tokes and, the, and, the, and mm-hmm. what's dealing there. I wanted you to comment just in that, in that area of the article about uh, – that a lot of tournaments uh, use a toke committee to handle the dealer's tokes, which the WSOP refuses to do. I don't know if you've dealt with that a lot of times at some of the tournaments you've worked, uh, maybe down in Aruba or one of these other things, that there's actually, uh, you know, dealers vote on who's going to be on that committee, and there's a a close scrutiny as to everybody getting their fair share. And it just doesn't happen at the WSOP, according to a lot of dealers. Well, let me tell you, that is any time that someone else is deciding, counting your money that doesn't have an interest in you, um, I have a big problem with it. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now, as a supervisor, when the Seminoles uh, Classic opened up, um, I'm just going to say it. They were stealing from us. Mm-hmm. You know, the top supervisors... In that company at that time, going back to 94, I believe, is when they opened up, they were stealing from us the percentage of the tips that dealers were, that we were taking from dealers back then 
to offset the supervisor's salary. And um, the man who, you know, brought this to everybody's attention, just, I, I know it was Jimmy Gatto, you know, mm -hmm. um, Jimmy yeah. Gatto's dad. Yeah. And, um, you know, they they were counting this without a without a supervisor being in the room. When we went, when somebody went to the Indian Council and said, "This is what's going on," well, lo and behold, our tips doubled. Wow. <laughs> yeah, our tips doubled, and this was a good six, seven, eight months after the room had opened. So, did you get you did you, did you get back payment? Did you get back pay huh? made up to you? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I would figure so. Not at all. And let me tell you something, Dave. It's one of the things I've always worked for for my dealers and everybody in my room. I've always tried to insist, you know, in these tournaments, try to do something to make money. And in my days, a lot of dealers love to work for me because I'll tell you what, I used to run a 10, 10K tournament every Sunday, okay, 10K guarantee. And my dealers... The average down for those ranged between twenty and twenty-two dollars a down. A lot of times it went over twenty-five dollars a down, and on the very worst occasions it might have been seventeen to eighteen dollars a down. And for those listening to the show who don't know what a down is, that's a half hour. So if you deal an hour on two, you know, on two different tables, you were earning forty. To 44 45 bucks an hour not to mention what your hourly pay was right so i don't know how many professionals are making that kind of money yeah right right so it can be very lucrative and a lot of people have talked about what a great summer it is for them out there but i just wanted to bring this up because you know the Poker dealers are talking about it. They're making their decisions now, what they want to do in September. It's a different time of year for the WSOP. Uh, and one guy, he put it this way. He said, uh, "He said, really, they don't even recognize your name or your face sometimes, these shift supervisors. And he said, I've had more personal treatment in jail. Well, let me tell you, though, Dave, think about this again. You know, dealers are, are big babies, Okay. And remember, you're talking to someone who has dealers, and you know I know how they how they act. You know they're they're complete babies. They want to be remembered for something, okay? And um, guess what? You know when there's thousands of people there, it's very hard for somebody to remember your name when you're just a temporary face that's going to be there for right. a month and a half to two months. Right. No, very so, true. So you know they they complain. Dealers complain about everything you can ask when you can ask any of the uh the uh, major uh managers here dave berman ralph you know you mentioned uh, it's amazing it's amazing they're never happy they're always complaining the dealers you're talking and, about um, they are so spoiled they are literally so spoiled and uh, it gets kind of hard for me as a manager who has been on every side of the fence that you can imagine when it comes to this with all my years of experience. And it pisses me off. Today's dealers are so spoiled and have no clue what experienced dealers from 20, 30 years ago had to go through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, they, and, and the ones who have worked with me hear this and they laugh in their face going, you think that's a problem? You know, you're so, you're so stupid, you know, and, and, these young people can't understand it. 
So, they, they, they can't envision it. Yeah, exactly. So your final verdict on this story, maybe a little bit overblown? Um, no, I don't want to say that it's overblown because, like I said, with so many dealers having to be used, with so many of them inexperienced, guess what? You know, uh, there's legitimate complaints, but, you know, um, look at, the, you know, got to see it from both sides of both sides. Uh, of the coin, Dave. Yeah, for you know? sure. And for um, sure. Uh, think about it. If they didn't have these tournaments, these people wouldn't have these jobs. You know, yeah. and uh, it, it it goes both ways. And and the the bad sad part is, management can't do much much more about that. You know, just because of the logistics of the numbers, and you know, it hurts the fa- uh, the customers too. So, from a management point of view. You're screwed if you do, and you're screwed if you don't. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's take our first break here on the show. We'll come back and uh, talk about the U.S. Poker Open. Also, I want to get in a quick strategy session. Uh, I saw a great article by Jonathan Little that I want to talk about, so we'll do that as well. A few other things going on out in Vegas. Uh, We mentioned the uh, Resorts International uh, getting ready to open, a few other things happening out there. So uh, stuff to talk about still. We hope you'll stick around for the entire show. And don't forget that you can always pick us up on SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, The Poker Fuse podcast page has carried us over many, many years and a lot of great podcasts on there. And we hope you'll check ours out. Uh, Also, uh, Hold'em Radio Network carries our show on a regular basis. They've been sending me a few tweets lately, and uh, uh, they're continuing to grow and have a lot of success. So check out the Hold'em Radio Network. Be sure and do that that, uh, when you get a chance. Okay, let's take this break. We'll be back with more of the show when we return. Poker Action Line will be right back after these messages. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide and right now this game is in a play for free test mode and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. The lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables. With a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, and you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the play for free demonstration and hope that you will join us 
when the Play For Real game becomes available later this year. From the vantage point, Mafatu saw six war canoes drawn upon the beach, but what held the boys' eyes in awful trance were the figures springing and leaping about the flames, darting, shifting, bounding toward the sky. The eaters of men. Cannibals. Firelight glistened on their royal bodies, on flashing spears and bristling decorations. Mafatu watched the strange scene, powerless to move, and he felt doom itself breathing chill upon his neck. In that very instant, he heard a crashing in the undergrowth. Four figures were tearing toward him through the jungle. He could see them now. He turned and ran blindly down the trail, slipping, sliding, stumbling, his breath all but choking in his throat. Only one thought gave him courage as he ran, his canoe ready and waiting. If only he could reach it before the savages overtook him. Explore new worlds. Find out what happens next by reading the book Call It Courage by Armstrong Sperry. For other great book ideas, visit literacy.gov. A message from the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the show. Big Dave Lemon, Joe Rodriguez, as we come to you from South Florida, but all over the country, a lot of things, big things happening. Uh, latest announcement out of New York is that they're actually going to build a new casino in the Hudson Valley area, uh, Newburgh, New York, right along the uh, Hudson River. And uh, they've overtaken a, uh, a strip mall department store to build a big casino up there. Uh, no word yet on what their poker room is going to look like. Uh, also, in uh, as far as casinos go, big news out of Maryland that uh, their numbers are just huge. Obviously, our good friend Mike Smith works up at the uh, Maryland Live Casino and runs that room up there, along with a few other people that uh, were from South Florida. I know Jason Heidenthal that worked uh, for Mike up there has now come back down to the uh, Seminole Hard Rock in Hollywood. But uh, obviously, they're doing so well up there. $172.4 million in revenue. Uh, were, was recorded, uh, uh, I guess, from the, from the month of May. A uh, new record for the largest monthly revenue and, uh, you know, topped the other uh, previous record by about $3 million. But they are doing great. It doesn't break it down for poker, but obviously they have uh, their six casinos in Maryland. They're all doing very well year over year, doing better and better. And when a lot of places were closing, uh, shutting down their rooms, uh, they operated almost straight through. And so um, they benefited greatly from Atlantic City uh, shut down by harsh restrictions. So uh, great to see that some of these states are, are really taking off. And, uh, you know, you know that uh, Maryland is, is one of the top poker destinations now, uh, Joe. Oh, absolutely. As we have our very good friend Mike Smith running uh, Maryland Live. So... Uh, that whole area there, you know, Maryland, Philadelphia now with Parks Casino, um, you know, they all have huge rooms. Yeah. And uh, where once it was only Atlantic City, uh, you know, they're being totally squeezed into a corner now with Pennsylvania and New York and Maryland uh, surrounding them. Delaware, uh, obviously a big state for online poker. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh uh, great to hear that some of the news is uh, certainly a, a system of recovery for just about everybody. I'm sorry, Dave, you broke up on me there. I no, I say uh, it's just, you know, just pleased to hear that, uh, you know, the, the whole business, the whole group of uh, places around the country is starting to recover from COVID. Uh, I did want to mention also, uh, let's see, what, 
this uh, strategy idea, then I wanted to run past Joe because I found it very interesting. Uh, it's very well uh, described the hand and also uh, gives you an idea that a lot of times you can make a mistake by just making a call uh, before the flop. Uh, you think you're being careful, but uh, can really cost you a lot of money. And I want to run down this hand for you. He talks about a dollar, uh, three dollar, uh, no limit cash game at, at, at the casino that he looked at a hand of one of his students, Jonathan did. And the student called from the small blind uh, with ace eight of diamonds. Okay. Uh, that was after, that was after uh, an aggressive player raised to $18 out of his uh, $215 effective stack. So uh, most people would think that's kind of a standard play is to make the call there, but he looks at it as a substantial oh, mistake. <laughs> he said, you have to be call careful calling large raises with any hand, especially because he was in the small blind, so he had poor position. So he says, when you flop a premium hand, uh, you will have a difficult time extracting value. And when you flop a marginal hand, your opponent gets to decide how much money goes into the pot. So he should have either folded, which would have been fine, or he could have three bet and actually took control of the pot. But the worst call play was the call. Yeah, because like you said, if, uh, uh, from a tight player, I believe you said, right? Made the race. No, yeah, yeah, loose, loose, aggressive player, actually. A loose, aggressive player. Okay. So, yeah, uh, I can only imagine he caught a decent part of the pot and got stuck, which has happened to a lot of us when we're trying to trap somebody. I don't know if that person was looking to trap somebody or was a novice player or, you know. But, yeah, when, when, you allow, when you have a lot of people behind you that have position on you, and you're calling, unless you were able to catch a diamond flop on, on that, you know, on the hand that you mentioned, and pray that your opponent hit something also, you know, that's all you're getting. And for me, calling that from the small blind, like, you know, Jonathan Little was saying, was a mistake. It was either a fold or, or a raise to, you know, hope your opponent put you on, on a stronger hand than what you have. Okay, he says he's moving on to the flop. If the flop was king seven four, uh, it doesn't say suited, but uh, probably most likely rainbow. He said if you had three bet before the flop with that ace eight of diamonds, and continuation bet on the flop, he said your opponent most certainly will fold unless he improved to at least a pair, which only happens about thirty five percent of the time. Right, because you can you can represent kings, you can represent that you got an ace. So if, if your opponent calls you there, more than likely they've hit that king, you know, and then you act accordingly once the turn comes. Yeah. He says, uh, you know, if you check on the flop and your opponent bets, then you have to fold. So you're basically uh, letting him steal pots from you that way. Yeah, absolutely. And if he knows that, that you're capable of doing that, a loose aggressive player will always try to, you know, put the pressure on you so uh i, I agree with everything he's been saying there so okay go ahead. gets to the uh, actual flop which was ace of spades king of diamonds jack of hearts that was the actual flop he said uh, that gave his uh, student you know a pair of aces with a weak kicker he said he checked the hijack 
bet $30 into the pot. $39 was in the pot. He bet 30 and my student called. He said, that's the type of flop my student does not want to see. He often has the best hand, but significant money goes into the pot. If it does go into the pot, he is usually crushed. So while I'm fine with the flop check call, this situation gets nasty by the river. The turn was a seven of spades. Again, my student checked. The hijack bet 40 into the $99 pot, and my student called again. He said, at this point, I think making a tight fold would be the correct play. There are very few value hands that a competent player would bet in the hijack spot that my student could beat. He said, my best student, best my student can hope for is betting with a slightly worse made hand, like an That's ace five king queen, and, and, and perhaps that he's completely bluffing, that the opponent is bluffing with a 10-9 or something like that. Then you got a chance still. But the river was a five of clubs, and uh, he checked again. The hijack bet 50, and the student called. As it turns out, he flips over his uh, ace eight, and uh, the opponent had ace queen. Yeah, he, you know he had him dominated on the kicker. So exactly. Again, that's you know without knowing the players, you know Jonathan's, you know, giving advice on how certain hands should be played, and you know he was right on the money with this. Once you hit, once you know all the hands that were out there, I mean uh, the board, how the board came out. Yeah, he said the only hands that he could have beat at that point were were vastly overvalued, marginal made hands, and total bluffs. So uh, he loses the hand, and he said, what you have to realize that in most small and medium-stake games, when someone bets in a flop, turn, and river, you should assume they have a reasonable valued hand, unless you have a, reason, a great reason to believe otherwise. Yep. Great advice. Yeah, for sure. Great advice. Uh, and, you know, uh, the average person would just look at that and say, well, a call, there's nothing wrong with a call there. But uh, that's when you need to look a little deeper into the game. Absolutely. And that's, you know, a good learning lesson. I mean, it, it costs students some money, but not so much that you can't, you know, walk away and go, okay, here's the advice my teacher's given me. And for me as a poker player, I had to understand it. You know, I had to make sense of it, you know, because every time you make a bad decision, you know, you're trying to justify it. Yeah. And, you know, in poker, you know, it comes to the realization that, hey, I'm nowhere near as good as I thought I was or point blank and simple, I suck at this, so I better start paying attention. And, um, you know, if you learn from it, it, it was it was worth the expense, you know. We we pay to we pay to get our continual education in colleges and get a career. So, this is this is the colleges, your university learning period when you're playing in these games, and you know the top students learn from their mistakes. Uh, isn't it a card player that has something at the back of their magazine? When I was a donkey. Yeah, you know, when I was a donkey. When I was a donk, okay, and uh, explaining mistakes that they made and. You know, I'm pretty sure that almost every single top-notch poker player in the world and, and, and those that are just a notch below them all could tell stories like that from, from their early 
early days of playing poker. Yeah, absolutely. As we look to a lighter note here, uh, currently in the uh, NBA playoffs right now, I want to uh, reveal a quick story that I read on Card Player, and that is about the Golden State Warriors that all, often have games on their long flights across country. And uh, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson are two of the, two of the major players that love playing uh, Draymond Green, I know, has appeared on Poker After Dark a few years ago, and the the uh, team's minority owner is also a diehard poker fan. So they play on the on the plane, and uh, as usual, they uh, kind of leave the uh, grunt work to the rookie. So uh, they have a rookie this year, a seven foot center named James Wiseman, who was uh, I think the number three draft uh, pick last yeah. year, <laughs> and uh, he was responsible for bringing the chips. So they said uh, the poker chips. And so they said it recently on one of the chips, he forgot them. He didn't bring them on the plane. And so uh, there was some terrible hazing going on there. Uh, guys weren't able to play that game. Anyway, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, we, you know, sports betting is obviously huge, and we don't get into too much of it. Uh, maybe at some later date we might a little bit more, but basically try to concentrate on the poker. But I uh, just wanted to see a surprising thing was because it affected me directly, kind of. Uh, you know, I play on DraftKings, and uh, on Saturday, uh, the leader of the PGA Golf Tournament, John Rahm from Spain, had a six-shot lead, and he had test. A friend of his had tested positive for COVID earlier in the week, and he was told, you know, we need to test you before every round, and, and you know, as long as you test negative, you'll be fine. So he took a six-shot lead after the third round, which is a situation where you're probably going to win the golf tournament. Uh, yep. <laughs> if you're that good, and they they had to come to him after he walked off the 18th green and said, "Listen, you tested positive in." You're going to have to withdraw from the golf tournament. So, very disappointing for him. But on draft and on DraftKings, I had him on two of my three teams. Oh. So that ended those uh, contests for me. But I just read a story which was pretty interesting, and that is that several of the sports books out in Vegas actually paid off their betters on their John Rom bets, uh, wow. as, as if he had won the tournament, and they didn't have to do that. But I guess you can uh, build some goodwill. Uh, there are places like uh, the DraftKings Sportsbook, and I'm around regular DraftKings, which is not the same thing. But BetMGM and also uh, FanDuel and, and William Hill actually paid out ROM tickets as winners for him I, winning and coming in the top ten. I would love to know how much they actually shelled out because that, to me, it's a great you know, uh, PR, PR, PR move to yeah, do that. You know, and get these players, especially if the cost was, you know, let's say at most ten thousand or below. You know, for those big books, if you, you know, you do this, you've just earned a customer for life. That's for damn sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, but uh, I guarantee you, this was going to have something that was huge as a payout. Um, were you able to find out what the ruling is? You know, because we know that. For a football game, I found out through that one game that they crashed through the uh, the electrical thing, uh, has to go 55 minutes. Right, right. And for an we over, all an know, over like under. baseball yeah. fans, right. And we all know, no, and even for, for the game to be oh, straight up, too. Okay. Straight up, too, right, for the line and the t t total. But uh, and we know that for in baseball, uh, you know, five innings is an official game for the side, not for the total. Right, so. Right. You know, I, I, I'm curious as to what, 
if there's anything in the rule books about about golf. Yeah, I don't think they have to pay anything like that, uh, but they certainly did, and it would probably, in the long That's run, great. it would be a great move. Great, great PR move, uh, you know, as a gambler and, you know, <laughs> known people who've been on the other side of the feds. I think that's a smart thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're running low on time. I wanted to give you a chance to uh, give us a recount of your uh, tournament this past weekend. Uh, I had originally planned to go down there and play, and I don't know why. I guess I just completely forgot about it. But uh, obviously, I wasn't there. But uh, did you? Were you happy with the turnout? And uh, how did well, it go? Well, listen, <laughs> it was our lowest turnout. But we also had issues because the company that we were using for SMSing people went out of business right at the beginning of the week. And uh, just a few technical difficulties that prevented us from getting this out like everything else. Um, so as far as the amount of players, it was great value for the people. We, we you know, as a room reached our goal of the, of the 5000 minimum guarantee and, and made a few dollars. Um, it was fun. It was fun. Um, but we, you know, we only had 37 players in, in the tournament mm. and, uh, we've been averaging around 50, 51 and, uh, but they were, you know, they were actively and very aggressively going after that prize by, you know, rebuying and doing the add on, uh, you know, when the period time for that came and, um, again, very happy People had a great time, you know, which is the most important thing, to be honest with you, Dave. Yeah. You know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I'm very grateful that, uh, you know, that we covered the expense. But uh, the big thing is, you know, everybody had a great time there. Yeah. You know, I got great compliments on how well we ran the tournament and, you know, how efficient everything is. And if you don't mind me saying real quick, because I know we're about to go, go ahead and get off the air, but... Um, it's only been the last two tournaments that we were able to get the audio in there that, you know, does the ringing. You've been in the tournaments where they go one minute left in this round, and then when it counts down from 10. And I knew people loved having that. I just had no idea how much smoother a tournament would run with just that little bit of help. So yeah. uh, last two have been flawless because of that. So Well, good. And is there a plan for the next one? I will be in July. Just don't have a date yet. Hopefully by our next show next week, I'll have a date set for it. Okay. Uh, let's close out by just uh, doing a quick recap of what's going on at the U.S. Poker Open, a very interesting tournament. Uh, they have four events in the book. They're playing event five today. And uh, still to come will be an eight-game mix, uh, PL, another PLO tournament, and a short deck tournament. And then two big ones at the end, $25,000 and $50,000 high rollers. So uh, all this is available on Poker Go. Uh, the the uh, early events, Jake Daniels uh, won the opening event as he defeated uh, Dan Shack in head-to-head -head play, Barry Hutter and Stephen Chidwick, and Steve Zolotow uh, rounding out the top five in that one. Uh, Sam Savrel, uh won the first PLO event, uh, knocking off Jordan Christos head-to-head. -head. Mark Brody finished third, Dylan Weissman fourth, and Max Coleman fifth. Alex Foxen was in seventh place. And then we had uh, Joe McKeon winning the uh, main event. Uh, not the main event, I take that. His, he won the main event in the past, but this was the... Uh, uh, $10,000 buy-in, a $200,000 victory for Joe McKeon. He's been on a hot streak, 
and uh, he wins this event uh, by defeating head-to-head Ray Quartemi, while finishing third was Ali M. Sarovich. Steve Zalato, fourth place there. Jake Schindler, a local Florida player, uh, finished in fifth, and Barry Hutter was seventh. Chewy, lucky Chewy, Andrew Lichtenberger rounded out the final table. So still to come, we have uh, several events, and you can pick those up on Poker Go. Highly recommend that. It's certainly a lot of fun. And uh, you should check that out. The other thing I wanted to give a quick plug to uh, a uh, uh, convention coming up, a casino collectible, co- collectible show out in Vegas. And the way I bring it up because our good friends are involved with it, uh, Jan Fisher and Linda Johnson, they'll be there to sign autographs. Uh, and I just kind of wondered, Joe, quick question. From what you see in talking to poker players, do people still collect casino chips? Uh, Big Dave, yeah. As a matter of fact, they definitely still do. It's you know, uh, I just don't know. Um, it's funny you ask this question because I had people talk to me about the chips that we used to have from before, and letting them know what the cost is and everything else. And um, yeah, it's it's actually makes a lot of money for casinos that the collectors out there are buying those. They usually do it on a twenty-five dollar chip and on a five dollar chip. Because the cost to make both is usually is, is the exact same, and uh, for the big casinos, Dave, it's you know it's usually under a dollar the cost for the chips, uh, maybe somewhere around eighty cents. So think about it. If yeah. they take if they take you know a thousand twenty five dollar chips that are celebrate or somebody's singing, you know that that's usually what they do with these commemorative chips, and. Um, and never bring them back. Well, you know, you're making twenty four dollars on each one that they take with them. So, well, I remember the one guy that took a chip because he said he wanted to put it into a table he was making. Uh, ended up getting disqualified uh, from that well, circuit event at Palm Beach. He took he took a um, he took a tournament chip. That's right. why. Right. Right. Exactly. Can't, that you can't do. Take a cash chip. Okay. Buy it. Buy a new one. And to be honest with you. Um, you know, casinos are forced to put certain amounts of them on the table because, believe it or not, some of them have become so popular that people are actually giving you two, three, four, five times the actual value of the chip. Yeah, right. You know, and it's like any other collectible. Um, so the casinos in the past, I don't know how true it is now, were had to put a certain percentage of those chips on, on, the, uh, on the floor. Right. And, um, you know, the rest, the rest they could hold for a while. And I don't honestly know how they'd go about that. If those value chips, you know, if those chips became a lot more valuable than just their face value of 25. So, well, if, if you're interested in that sort of thing, you're out in Vegas, it's at the South Point, uh, on, uh, Las Vegas Boulevard, uh, June 17th through the 19th, uh, on the 18th is the day that uh, Linda and Jan are going to sign some autographs from one to three. And there's also a uh, tournament involved for people that are in the uh, in the group, the uh, uh, the, the casino uh, collectibles group. So uh, check out that association and their members only tournament, which is on Friday night, June 18th. Anyway, that's going to do it for the show. Appreciate you being with us. Joe, thank you for everything. Enjoyed uh, some of our discussions again today. And Joe Costello, thank you as, as well. Uh, we're going to get you uh, in playing poker and uh, getting in a tournament when you're out there on your next uh, Vegas trip if you're not too busy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's going to do it for us. Uh, we'll check you out next week. Another edition here 
from South Florida. And of course, you can always get the show uh, on many different po- podcast locations. Thanks for uh, being with us today. Uh, working on a couple of local guests, uh, Calder Casino, as a po- they're reopening their poker room very soon. And uh, right now they have the player banked games, but they're going to add three regular poker tables. Uh, Ralph Brandt, a former tournament director at the Isle Casino, is now running that room. We're working on getting him on the show. Also, talk to my good friend Dave Litvin, who is the poker room director at uh, the Big Easy Casino in uh, Hollywood, Hallandale area. And uh, we're working on getting him on the show as well to talk about things that are headed on out there. Joe, thank you. appreciate it. And we'll talk to everybody next week. Another edition of Poker Action Live. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies. 